Hello, and welcome to the Affable Chat Podcast. My name is Joey. Usually on Affable Chat, we dive as deep as we can into a topic, and usually we talk about movies, and today is not an exception. Today, we're talking to Brendan from the Talk Ag to Me podcast. He's brought a movie with him uh, that we're going to discuss. Say hello, Brendan. Hello, how's it going? And uh, the movie we're talking about today is How to Train Your Dragon. This is Burke. It snows nine months of the year and hails the other three. Any food that grows here is tough and tasteless. The people that grow here are even more so. The only upsides are the pets. While other places have ponies or parrots, we have this is an animated Viking family adventure, and the directors are Chris Sanders and Dean DeBlois. Uh, the cast includes Danger Bark, The Phantom of the Opera, McLovin, a late, late comedian, Ugly Betty, Donnie Azoff, Ehrlich Bachman, Dr. Aaron Gilbert, and Doctor Who. Uh, I watched this on Peacock Kids. Uh, how did you watch this, Brendan? I actually watched it on Prime Video. Oh, awesome. Uh, I didn't know it was there, but I actually already had uh, Peacock Kids or Peacock Premium because I'm watching The Office. So uh, it, was a, it was a cheap option for me. <laughs> anyway, we're going to get started, as we always do, with a synopsis of the movie, um, which we'll start right now. In the distant remote village of Burke, a young Viking named Hiccup dreams big. All he wants is the approval and validation of his Viking dad, Stoic, who is the most badass and fearless of all the Vikings. The best way to get prestige in Burke is to kill a dragon. Dragons show up to Burke often, stealing livestock and destroying structures. They are fearsome beasts that come in many shapes and sizes, and each has their own particular style of destruction. The most mysterious and dangerous of the dragons is called the Night Fury. They strike quickly with explosive fire charges and are as black as night. Hardly anyone has ever seen a Night Fury, let alone killed one. So Hiccup makes that his goal. Hiccup is young, small, and scrawny, but his time as a blacksmith's apprentice has taught him a few tricks about building mechanical devices. While the rest of the village is busy fighting off another brutal dragon attack, Hiccup sneaks away with his homemade catapult and goes looking for a dragon. He sees a dark shadow blot out the stars and fires instinctively. The shadow falls, but Hiccup never sees where. Instead, he is confronted by another dragon and has to be saved by his disappointed father. Fed up with the dragon war, Stoic leads an expedition to the dragon's nest, intending to root them out once and for all. Hiccup and the other Viking kids stay behind to learn how to fight dragons. In his free time, Hiccup goes looking for the dragon he downed. Deep in the mountainous woods, he finds broken trees in a long dirt trench. Eventually, he comes across a black mass covered in rope. It's the dragon, but not just any dragon, a Night Fury. Hiccup raises his knife to slay the dragon and secure his legacy as a Viking, but he just can't do it. He sees the helpless animal lying before him and sees his own fear reflected in its eyes. He cuts the rope and the dragon lashes out and flies away. For the young Vikings, captured dragons are released in an arena for them to practice fighting. Dragon fighting also includes lessons about how dragons detect their prey and their weaknesses. The Vikings even have a book with everything they know about dragons written in it. 
Hiccup begins to realize that dragons are more than just savage beasts. They are complex creatures with interesting biology. Hiccup goes back into the woods to find the dragon he didn't kill. The dragon is stuck in a rocky basin, his tail injured so he can't fly. Hiccup begins bringing him fish to eat and starts to study him to learn more about how dragons work. Over the next few weeks, with the majority of the Vikings still searching for the dragon's nest, Hiccup rises through the ranks of the dragon training by using passive techniques to conquer dragons. No one seems to notice that he is frequently dropping his weapons and petting or spooking the dragons. All they care about is how great he is in the ring. Meanwhile, during the afternoons and nights, Hiccup is spending time with his new Night Fury friend, who he is named Toothless. Hiccup designs an artificial tail wing for Toothless that Hiccup can control using a foot pedal and some rope. This allows Toothless to fly with Hiccup on his back. The two grow very close as they benefit from each other's company. Finally, Stoic and his Vikings return, beaten and burnt, having not located the dragon nest. But Stoic is thrilled to learn his son isn't useless and annoying, but instead a dragon-fighting prodigy. For the final test of dragon training, Hiccup is selected to kill a dragon in front of the whole community. He attempts to peacefully touch the dragon to prove that dragons can be friendly, but the roaring crowd spooks the beast, who begins to attack. Hiccup only survives because Toothless, hearing his friend's screams, runs into town to protect him. Toothless is captured by the Vikings. Hiccup lets slip that Toothless once took him to the dragon nest, and Stoic latches onto that. He rigs up a captured Toothless to a boat and uses him to lead the way to a secret volcano where the dragons live. The Vikings attack the mountain, but the dragons inside just fly away. Suddenly, the volcano bursts open and a monstrous super dragon emerges. It burns all the Viking ships and scatters the troops. Back at Burke, Hiccup and his fellow dragon training classmates tame the dragons they have been fighting and ride them to the volcano. They use all of their training to fight the uber dragon, but it's to no avail. Finally, Stoic frees Toothless from his chains, and the Night Fury and Hiccup engage in 1v1 PvP with the big boss dragon. Toothless ignites the big dragon's internal organs, and the giant creature collides with the ground, exploding. Back at Burke, Hiccup wakes up from a long rest to find Toothless in his house. He also discovers he lost part of his leg in the battle. But the other Vikings have all adopted dragons as their allies, and they all lived happily ever after. At least, until the sequel. The end. Okay, well that's the events of How to Train Your Dragon, uh, spiced up a little bit for you. Uh, let's uh, start with our pros and cons. Uh, Brennan, what did you like about How to Train Your Dragon? Everything. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> um, no, one of the one of the biggest selling factors is just the general story of How to Train Your Dragon. Uh, the you know the coming of age aspect of it that was very interesting to watch Hiccup's development and just the idea that you know we don't have to combat every single problem with with violence or try to fight away every issue that we face. You know that the communication and and the you know understanding of things that we don't typically understand or even fear is a huge thing that I really at attach myself to, um, and that kind of directly ties into the metaphors of the entire movie. Um, which was just that, you know, it, it's important to, you know, face both physical and and metaphorical issues uh, with with the mindset of, if you know, if we just take a second to look at the situation, we may realize we can learn a lot from this. It's not as simple as if we just go in there swinging our swords around. Hiccup is one of my favorite characters in any movie, TV show, media, just in general. 
Um, I, I relate a lot to this character being someone who grew up very, very shy and, and, you know, constantly in fear of, of not living up to my potential and, uh, you know, slowly learning through the, through the application of skills from, you know, from my own kind of perspective, not, not necessarily doing what people want me to do, but doing what I feel comfortable doing, uh, that I'm much more capable of things that I initially anticipated. And so just growing up watching this movie, I really attach myself to it. It's a movie that I feel like doesn't get enough proper attention because of this, you know, this particular plot line uh, mm-hmm. but it's one that's incredibly important for for kids and for people of all ages to really understand that it's okay to learn how to do things your way and that that's not necessarily the wrong way just because that's not how someone else wants you to do it when i was watching uh, it this time i had a much different perspective on hiccup than the first time i watched it um when i was watching it the first time he's i'm like oh i get it he's weak you know he's he can't do anything right he's not skilled or coordinated like the other vikings are but this time I was so much more in tune with his determination and almost like his recklessness, right? He really, really wanted to prove himself throughout, which I thought was a very, a very different look at uh, at Hiccup than when I first saw it. And I think that's a, a, um, I think that's a power or you know a proof that they've written a complicated and interesting character that he has these different dynamics that you can take away from it depending on how you look at it. Yeah. Uh, anything else? Yeah, I mean, just just to piggyback off of that, I would I would definitely agree. Um, when you're trying to prove yourself to somebody in what in what they consider as proving themselves instead of what you consider as proving yourself, uh, there's almost a guarantee that you're going to mess up somehow. Um, just because you know you're trying to do something that's not you. Uh, we see this with Hiccup in the movie. He he very clearly demonstrates his skill as a Viking is just not there, but his mm-hmm. skill as a dragon trainer is a whole nother level of of complex. That you know he's the only person on the island who has the compassion and and, and intelligence to figure out how the dragons work to a degree that he's able to train them. And that kind of smoothly transitions into, you know, the the biggest thing about the movie that I appreciate at my current age. Um, I'm a big fan of animal behavior, and this is something that, that we may even touch on a little bit later, but animal behavior is something that I've, I've always been really interested in. Um, I grew up, you know, my sister trains horses for a living, so I grew up watching her work with animals, and she taught me everything I know about about the craft. And I've, I've studied animal behavior from a few different experts over the years, and I've trained quite a few animals of various species myself and seeing how they implement the animal behavior methods in this movie the training of of the dragons the uh general you know aspects of of how the dragons behave with each other versus with the humans versus with their their kind of overseeing you know super dragon like we mentioned in the in the synopsis is just really really well done like they just Mm. People look at this movie and they're like, well, the, you know, would dragons actually act that way? And maybe they wouldn't, but they combined the behaviors of so many different animals that it just it looks so realistic in the way that Hiccup behaves with them. Like that's how training would be done if dragons did act that way. Oh, man. And that I really do want to dive deeper into that later on. I think this is exactly why I brought you on here and why I want to talk about this, because I think you have such an interesting perspective on this. Um, but yeah, I to, to go off to the things that I liked about this movie real briefly. Uh, I really love the design of the dragons. Each of them looks so different. Um, they all look very, like, very interesting, and they all have like their kind of unique powers or different ways that they destroy things or interact with stuff, um, which I thought was like very creative. Uh, I think the story is fun and exciting. It's always there's all these different uh, elements going on at once that helps kind of propel you forward. And I think the setting is really unique, um, right? It's not like in a city or anything like this is in this small ver- rural village out in the middle of nowhere. Um, and then there's dragons around and they're all Vikings. I think that's pretty cool. Um, yeah, there's just a really completeness to the world, I think, which is explored really, really well in the sequels. 
I think. I think this mm-hmm. movie has three, or this series has three really solid movies in it. Mm-hmm. And um, I think this setting up the world and then building off of that each time um, is done extremely well. I think there's really well-crafted characters. There's really good moments between Stoic and his son, Hiccup. Um, and Hiccup and the other, you know, kind of various cast of loony characters that are all Vikings, they all um, they all interact in a way that I think is uh, very compelling. And the flying and landscape shots for me were just breathtaking. There's some stuff in this movie that doesn't look nearly as good as it probably did in 2010 when it came out, but uh, there are some parts that look amazing, and you just really want to fly in a dragon afterwards. So. <laughs> Okay, so as our, as we've heaped a lot of praise on um, How to Train Your Dragon, but I would say it's not a perfect movie. So why? Uh, what, what are some things you don't like about it? You know, uh, this was a, a little bit of a difficult thing to come up with because I, like is. I've mentioned, <laughs> it's one of my favorite movies of all time. So I, I really had to think about it, uh, about things, but there's two major things that bother me about this movie. Um, one of them I think is the pace and maybe you can correct me on this, uh, but it just, it feels like the most important aspects of the movies are, are, are just a little bit rushed. Um, mm. So, you know, the, the biggest one that comes to mind is when he figures out how to train toothless and he starts using those methods on the other dragons in his training, it seems like there's a very, very quick like progression of skill like, like if, even if we assume he's doing dragon training once a week, which I don't know if they ever confirm it in the movie. No, it's frequently. really hard to tell what the time frame is. You right. Know? And like, they're on this expedition, but they must be gone for weeks because he spends so much time with Toothless, right? Mm-hmm. But then he's also like, he's building that whole contraption. He shows him iteratively doing that, which he can only do like once a day. It's got to right. be like at the very least, it's like 10 days, but it's, right. it's got to be longer than that. Yeah. I don't know. So, I mean, even by generous estimates, if we assume he's doing the dragon trainings once a week, he does, what, five of them? Or, I think it's five. I, I can't remember how many now. I don't know. It's kind of mixed, it's kind of mixed together, too, right? Because there's right. some parts that, like, they show different pieces, but then there's, like, a montage of them, right. too. So, it's hard to say exactly how often it's happening. Yeah. So, that was a big thing that was difficult for me to grasp onto because he's, like, you know, if he's spending once a week with, with these dragons, but he's spending every day with his dragon, like, yeah, you could assume that he's getting more comfortable with dragons as a species, but you would think that there'd be some level of, of you know, caution of, okay, these dragons are not my dragon. My right. dragon almost has, like, an oath to me because I saved his life. These dragons are trying to kill me, so, like, I get that these tricks work on a dragon that's not trying to kill you, but it just seems like the... <laughs> The instinct of the dragons initially would would kind of you know be a bit more aggressive than just flop over and, and let their belly be scratched um, in the in the training ring. So oh, that I just, definitely agree. I mean those yeah. those dragons. I mean this is a kids movie, right? So those dragons <laughs> sure. aren't necessarily being abused, but they're like trained to like fight things and eventually be slaughtered, right? right? You know, like they're not in the best mindset. I would say they're right. at the very at the very least captives against their will. So I would say like. It would be very natural for them to lash out and be dangerous, um, you know, in that environment. But yeah, the fact that he's able to overcome that and that the dragons seem very willing to, even like that that the one that he's supposed to kill, right? He's like that one comes out, right? He's like it's all mm-hmm. aggressive, and then Hiccup's like, no, be be still, and it's like, okay, sure, I'll, I'll, <laughs> right. this one Viking, all all other Vikings I've ever met has tried to kill me. This one Viking though, I'll give him a shot. I think he may <laughs> he might be a little different. Right. So that kind of combines both of both of my 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 uh, 
grievances with this movie so like the, the pace of how fast he learns how to take care of dragons and how to how to deal with the dragons in training and like how fast his confidence rises up during that time is just a little bit like i get that you're that you're you know a cool guy hiccup but like that is way too fast for for me like most people it takes them years to get the confidence to work with you know dangerous animals and, and to you know learn the behavioral tricks that would go into that and he c tends to pick it up in like a month maybe e even if that um, so that was an issue. And then like we mentioned earlier, the, the application of skills is just not there. Like, right. again, like, you know, it makes no, the, the monstrous nightmare, the one that attacks him at the end, you know, that it's like his, um, like his, uh, coronation as a Viking where he has to kill it, just walks up to him and he sticks his hand out and all of a sudden it's not going to bite his hand off right. like that. <laughs> That doesn't how that's not how that works, you know. Like <laughs> dragons are smart creatures, but they're not smart enough to think. Okay, you're like, a member they're of more the... empathetic than Vikings, right? Like <laughs> right, like you know, like they're they're almost like we see that they behave almost like bees. So like it's it's safe to assume that they may have some level of intelligence, but to a degree, they are very very instinctual animals. You know, they mm -hmm. have the purpose and they serve that purpose, but. It just it just seems very weird to me that they would you know make the connection of okay Vikings are basically predators to us but this one's not going to kill me yet so maybe I'll maybe I'll just not eat him real quick right uh, that just and like you know how he immediately went from at the end of the movie immediately went from everyone being afraid of dragons to all of a sudden he trained all these guys how to ride dragons in like ten minutes because he like got to the island yes. quick so they had to train him like immediately no it's it's definitely true I I think I don't know there. In order to make a movie like this, you have to speed up that portion of it, right? right? And they do play fast and loose with the time. Who knows how long it took? But it can't have been forever because – or like a, it couldn't have been like a couple of months even because the, his dad was out there looking for the nest. It can't be for that long, right? They didn't bring right. enough food to be like a remote nomad you know, tribe. <laughs> At least that's not what I saw. The um, So I think – but the climax – I think there's I think there's a couple of issues with this – movie and one of the things is the climax takes up a lot of space right where you have to get to that spot and then you have to fight the big dragon who is mm -hmm. different than the other dragons because he deserves to be killed right, right. he deserves <laughs> to be he's an evil one we've decided we made a distinction between evil dragons and not evil dragons somehow right. this one here is one of the evil ones so we, it's okay if we kill him um he so that whole thing takes up so much space that you kind of push out some of the more interesting and nuanced like ideas in this movie um, which you know, clearly can't be helped unless you want to make this like a television show or four hours long. Um, but yeah, I see exactly what you're saying. And that's, and the things that you're talking about, the things that you want to see more of are exactly the things I want to talk to you more about. So um, mm -hmm. I think that um, Hiccup himself, every time I looked at him, I found myself averting my eyes because his face looked so uncanny to me. <laughs> like I was like looking at anything else in the room or anything else on the screen because I just could not focus on his face. I feel like everybody else looks fine, but for whatever reason, maybe they're trying to make Hiccup look more relatable, you know, make him feel more human or something, but they just went a little too far on it, and now he just does not look good at all. Any close-up of Hiccup's face, I did not like. Um, <laughs> I don't. I don't think that there's there's not very good female representation in this movie. The best you get is Astrid, and even she is just kind of like the prize to be won at the end because she like gives Hiccup the kiss, uh, which really kind of undercuts any sort of agency that she might have had as like her own independent dragon fighter. Um, you know, honestly, if you think too hard about it, it starts to look pretty dire for Astrid because it's like she spent her whole life learning how to fight dragons, becoming expert at fighting dragons, and suddenly on a dime because of, because one guy befriends a dragon, suddenly all their skills are useless. So, 
yeah, uh, that, you know, it sucks to be her. But, you know, I think later on they end up fighting other Vikings or something. So maybe that does come into effect. <laughs> but, yeah, um, yeah I, 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 I was actually kind of toying with the idea of saying that uh, it might even be better if there were no females in this movie. This movie has so, like, it's so, it's like, you know, Vikings in this movie are very patriotic patriarchal or whatever so there's mm. like a lot of you know lineage based on male to male stoic is kind of the i think he's the leader i think he's technically the leader of the of the yeah. town um and his wife is missing we find out in the other movies what happens to her but um she's not there she's not a presence in Hicc hiccup's life so it might have actually been like less of a distraction almost to like have no female characters whatsoever and not even bring in this aspect of like oh was he, like Astrid is a, needs some sort of prize for a main character to win. I don't know. Um, uh, I don't know. It's a it's a <laughs> uh, it's a weird place to to end up. So, but again, how much space do you have in this movie? I really wanted to see a lot of the dragon stuff. That's the best parts of this movie. Mm -hmm. The you know I liked seeing some of the like the fighting and stuff too. I thought that was cool. Astrid brings a lot of that, but um, honestly, uh, other than that, she doesn't bring anything else. So it's, uh, I actually didn't even mention her once in my synopsis, which was in a purpose. It's just that I was trying to be slim. So, right now, I think that, I mean, just to elaborate on that a little bit more, I think that Astrid could have served a better purpose as a non love interest in the first Definitely. movie. I think if that was established later on, then that's fine. Um, but like you said, like she just kind of, you know, she starts off as this very, very strong character that everyone respects in the village. Like, you know, she is the the star student, you know, in, in Dragon Training. Everyone has her has their hopes on her. But like you said, you know, she she sees drag or she sees Hiccup ride toothless once. And all of a sudden she's just like, oh, OK, we don't have to kill dragons anymore. Right. Like, not thinking about her own like <laughs> right. like the sunk cost value doesn't play at all into Astrid's. Um, you know, calculus there. She never is like, oh, how is this going to negatively affect me? Because it's going to directly negative affect you, Astrid. Um, no, I think you're right. Like her as a platonic friend, right, uh, who Hiccup eventually allies with and they end up coming mm -hmm. together serves that, I think, serves the story better than having than regulating her to simply uh, damsel to save or whatever. So, right. Um, okay, so let's move on to our overall section, and I've I've written some questions for you to answer, um, and I'm hoping this will cut or kind of kickstart our conversation. Um, so I asked you to come on to Affable Chat and to pick a movie, um, and you could have picked any movie. So why did you pick How to Train Your Dragon? So I mentioned earlier that How to Train Your Dragon is one of my favorite movies of all time. Um, I'm I'm a big movie fan, but I'm I'm kind of um, I guess you could say basic with my movies. I, I, I like movies that have a really good story, but not a story that people expect. So mm -hmm. like, you know, you came on my show and we talked about Wally. We talked about how much I love Wally. It's because it's a very when you think about it, it's a very simple story, but there's a lot of complexity to the to the, you know, the symbolic aspect of that story. Definitely. Um, how to Turn Your Dragon is another one of those. So the, the, the biggest part of it is that, yes, it's a very symbolic movie. There's a lot of uh, really cool imagery in there. There's a lot of really cool uh, symboli uh, sim symbology with the music. And, and we'll go on, on in, you know, a little bit later with that. But uh, I mentioned animal behavior a little bit in the beginning of this episode about how they introduce animal behavior in a way that people are kind of like, you know, I, if dragons behave that way, would that really be, you know, how, how that would work? And, and honestly... One of the coolest things I, I witnessed is that How to Train Your Dragon com combines, you know, the behavior of dragons with that of cats, horses, bees. Like, there's a bunch of other animals combined into these guys. And if you analyze the behavior of their actions in certain 
areas of the movie, you start to see that they are very much the animals that they were based on. So we see like right. the, the hive mentality of the bees. You know, we see them all kind of like swarm towards the the massive volcano where the you know the boss dragon lives. Um, but we also see like you know Hiccup play with the the shield. He uses the glare to to make Toothless run around and chase the the light like a cat would. That's one of my favorite aspects is that Toothless <laughs> is so cat like. I think it's so right. cute. It's such a smart idea because he's so. He's so um he like he's at first he's kind of threatening right but then mm-hmm. as like you get to learn more about him he's very he's so cute and so, and so <laughs> like uh, it's so protective and loyal and stuff I don't know there's a lot of there's a lot of cat aspects to him I think in the same yeah. way that like cats are like think of themselves as predators if even <laughs> if they aren't necessarily predators um you know I'm talking about indoor cats like more specifically but like. I think that's uh, it's, it's such a smart idea to tie them together, and um, it it works really well for me. I think it, it it gave me a sense of how Toothless might act or what to expect from Toothless, um, even though he's a dragon, a fictional beast. Right. Yeah. Exactly. And I think that they even you know they they drilled that point even even farther with with the writing aspect of of them as well, uh, because you know we mentioned the the cat behavior, which which that's basically how they act when they're. Uh, kind of just like roaming around the island, not really doing anything. Like we see in later movies, um, I think it's called the the Gronkle, the big old you know rocky one that uh, Fish Legs eventually befriends. Mm-hmm. Um, we see that one later, like laying around like a like a fat lazy cat, and we see the, the little dragons that try to steal Toothless's food, running around like kittens. Like yes. they all kind of behave that way, you know, at, when they're just walking around. But when they're flying, they behave very similar to how horses are when you ride them, which beautifully done like like you know the the flying scenes are some of my favorite scenes just because it demonstrates just how well they and i don't even know if they did research for for this movie or not if they just kind of got lucky but like they they demonstrate the teamwork between the writer and the dragon so well that like people you know think like okay well it's just a movie so like obviously like the dragon's going to listen to the the writer you know where he needs to and is going to be convenient but like that's not the case. Like, it, you know, we see in the very beginning, Hiccup and Toothless have to kind of like feel for each other as they ride to figure out how to balance each other and how to work well together. And for anyone who's ever ridden horses knows that's exactly how it is. The first time you ride a horse, even if it's a horse that's experienced with other riders, needs to get a feel for its rider first. So you mm. two are kind of feeling each other out as you go through and you're going to hit some, you know, you're going to hit some some bumps along the way. You know, maybe you don't necessarily get thrown into a rock like like uh, Hiccup and, and Toothless do. But, you know, there's definitely some need for cooperation and, and learning to, to work together in some aspects that I think was really, really well done. Um, there's a scene. It's actually during their first flight. And I'm, I'm going to talk about this in the music a little bit more. But uh, when when they first kind of start to like harmonize and work together and they're just like, you know, he, he drops the paper and they're just kind of flying through the rocks like super fast and they're they're just working in perfect sync. Um, that scene is my favorite scene in the entire movie, because I, I mentioned a little bit earlier that I grew up watching my sister train horses and seeing her in competitions, you know, she would ride her horse and you could even you could see she wouldn't even move her hands she would barely move her feet it was almost like her and her horse just kind of could read each other's minds and would move as if they were one being Um, and it's just the the coolest thing you'd ever see so like well yes it works for the story element like that is you know for someone who who knows animal behavior that is like a it feels so real you know it feels like they really did a lot of research to put that together that's like a that's a powerful moment for me too and i didn't make that connection i just there's there's some small motif with uh, Hiccup and Instinct, right? Mm-hmm. He sort of instinctively fires the cannon at the Night Fury and gets super lucky. And then there's, um, 
that there's this aspect too, where he is, um, you know, he's kind of like just feeling it out, but he has this kind of innate something about him. There, this like innate talent of understanding what the dragon wants and, and trying to get him to do what he wants. And then this moment really sells that because he's like trying to be super careful. He did all this research about the different positions of the tail. He had hiccup, mm -hmm. he had toothless tied to like a stump on that windy rock or something, which is really cool. But then, um, at the crucial moment when his life really depends on it, he just has to feel it. He just has to go for it. Mm -hmm. Um, and yeah, that, that worked for me, but I really like, uh, that idea. And I think you're probably right. I think they probably were sourcing this from real life, showing that like it is a, it's a team effort, right? Not just literally for hiccup and, and toothless where, you know, toothless can't fly without hiccup, but in order for them to fly at all together, it's not simply just getting on the back and going where the dragons wants to go. You have to communicate and, you know, feel how the other one's moving and react accordingly. Um, yeah, that, that, that moment is amazing. It's a great movie moment. Yeah, I've got a fun little uh, little uh, side anecdote if if you're interested. Absolutely. Are Are you a Harry Potter fan? Uh, of course, I'm a Harry Potter fan. <laughs> <laughs> Just gotta make sure. Uh, so so I'm I'm guessing you've either read all the books or are tangentially aware of them. Yeah. So you know how in Prisoner of Azkaban, the third one, where uh, they're learning how to how to tame the hippogriffs, they yes. have to like bow to them and have that whole ceremony. That's another one of those scenes where it's like they perfectly replicated animal behavior in a way that like I thought was was completely fake. And even like my sister thought was completely fake. When I was reading that book for the first time, I went out to her horses and I bowed to her horse and her horse actually bowed back to me. And it was like <laughs> completely I'm, I'm guessing is coincidental, but it was completely just like threw me for a loop because I was like, so Whoa. funny. <laughs> so but the thing is, and like the way this ties back to how to train a dragon is, you know, while they didn't necessarily have to bow to each other, there's that established respect between Hiccup and Toothless, you yes. know, and, and that respect has to be there between any animal you work with and in the handler. Because if the respect is not there on one end or the other, communication can't happen and, and the, the handling cannot be safe. When Hiccup puts his hand out to Toothless, right, to touch mm -hmm. him, right, and then Hiccup turns away, right, it's it's an ultimate sign to Toothless that Hiccup trusts him, right? Because yes. he knows that Toothless isn't going to bite him. It could just take his arm right there, right? That's <laughs> what he could do. But, like... And Toothless is, is shown to be pretty intelligent. He seems to mm -hmm. understand a lot of what Hiccup is saying, or at least what he's trying to get across. Um, and I think that moment, like, would I don't know how that would work for, you know, something that could actually eat your arm, but, um, <laughs> like, uh, for, 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 for Toothless alone, like, he is smart enough to re recognize what Hiccup is trying to say in that moment. Um, and then I think that's kind of that first step toward that bridge of, like, Okay, now we're gonna we can trust each other even more and they, you know fly together and, and do other things together. Um, yeah, and yeah, uh, yeah, that's good stuff. It's really good stuff. <laughs> it is, and and kind of my my last point on the animal behavior, animal behavior things. So I can go on forever about this, but to your point, you know, you mentioned I don't know if that would work with with an animal that could actually bite your arm off. The hiccup does two very important things with his body language here to get to get uh, toothless to trust him, and these two things are vital in any kind of animal interaction, dangerous or not. He puts his hand out for the animal to smell, and he turns his he turns his head away. Um, you don't necessarily have to turn your head away from an animal, but you have to avoid making eye contact mm. because most animals see eye contact as a, as a form of threat or or like they're being challenged. Right. Um. And most animals use sense of smell as a way of, of, of identifying things. 
So it doesn't matter if it's a dog you don't know or, or you know, a cow or a horse or whatever it is. If you want to introduce yourself to an animal, the very first thing you should do is stick your hand in front of their nose. Not like, you know, smash their hand, smash right, your right, hand right. into their nose. Give but, them an opportunity to smell you. Yes. Right. And, and let them come to you and then turn your head away and don't make eye contact with them. You can look at their feet. You can look at their body, whatever. Just don't look directly at their eyes. And that is like the first point of contact that you need to make with every animal. And then that's the point that they establish whether or not they're going to trust you and if they're going to let you in. Right. If they don't approach you, then you're not welcome. If they do approach you and then they back up, then they're still timid that you need to give them a second to, to adjust to you. But that was I'm glad you brought that scene up because that was a scene that like perfectly demonstrates the point that I've, I've been trying to make with animal behavior here is that they nailed that part. Yeah. Oh, it's pretty cool. Uh, <laughs> I, I like all those aspects. It's so cathartic seeing that relationship build. Um, and it's even it's even greater knowing that there's something real to that. Mm -hmm. um, so you've okay, you've talked a little bit about like how this movie speaks personally to you. Uh, but can you expand a little bit more on like, um, like, I don't know, some of the relatability or any anything else uh, in there? Yeah. So, so there's two major points that I haven't quite brought up yet um, that I think are really cool. Like you, like you mentioned, the relatability, then the music. The music is like one of my favorite parts of this whole movie. The music is just phenomenal. And the soundtrack just sounds cool anyways. Um, but the, the, they use the music for a very specific purpose in this movie. Um, and like, you know, it's it just very heroic sounding and, and very just, you know, like you could listen to it on, on your drive home and you're just going to get pumped up. Um, but, <laughs> but it, it does excellent storytelling. Like you could, you could just not have the music or you could just not have the movie. And if you just had the music and even maybe the dialogue, then you could probably piece together what's happening here. You know, like the music itself tells a story of, you know, triumph and failure of, you know, when things are going well versus when they're not like even within a single song, they transition between what points are going well in the story and what points are, are you know, are they struggling in? Mm. And that's especially true during that flight scene like we talked about. And I'll get into that a little bit more later because I, I have a, a special fun fact about this. But um, there's a lot of use of the music to tell the story in a way that the the words or the, or the pictures just can't. And I think that that was just so so cool how they were able to implement that in a way that you know you don't really think about it until you start to listen to the music by itself and then you're like yeah. oh oh that was that was intentional the no music is certainly something that when it's done well it sort of fades into the background a lot of time right because it mm -hmm. just sort of builds up what you're already there and the story i think is compelling enough that you're not distracted by the music but the music builds up that story as well um is there like a specific theme you can think of i of, while we were playing the intro quote I, there, you can kind of hear the, uh, um, I guess, I guess it's the How to Train Your Dragon theme, where they have the bagpipes, um, mm -hmm. and it's kind of like a swelling orchestra. Um, uh, I'm, I'm not sure. Is there anything specific that you can think of? Yeah, so I, I believe the one that you're talking about is called This Is Burke, and okay. I, th I think they play it in the beginning and, and again in the end. Um, the, I, I would say that one of the most compelling versions or one of the most compelling songs from the soundtrack that kind of proves this point is test drive which is that that you know their first flight um and then uh dragon battle which is you know when in the very beginning when when the dragons first attack and they're all trying to like run away yeah. like it the 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 song in in the very beginning just kind of shifts uh with the battle so like when it's going well and the vikings are winning then it's like all triumphant and, and cool and then you know when hiccups trying to run and the monstrous nightmare smashes the building and tries to light him on fire all of a sudden it gets very quiet and you know it's kind of like suspenseful and then it picks up again whenever they save him and it's like the the, the it's like a it's like you're on a roller coaster with just that song like it yeah. goes through so many ups and downs it just kind of takes you along for the ride 
Um, and like that scene is really cool anyway, but I think the music is what really makes it that much more intense and impactful and you kind of get to, you know, view it from Hiccup's eyes almost. Um, one of our favorite things uh, to appreciate on Apple Chat is something called a leap motif, which is when music is used as like as a metaphor throughout the song, that story. You know, the mm-hmm. repeated uh, verses or repeated phrases throughout this, the movie that sort of grow and change as the story changes. Uh, what you're describing is more like as I don't know, it's complementing the melody of this of the movie kind of, mm-hmm. but I think there's that's certainly an aspect of it. Um, so yeah, yeah. big big fans of leap motifs here. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, and and just to you know kind of wrap up that that whole um, you know the, the personal connection this movie has for me. I mean, the, I mentioned earlier that I relate a lot to Hiccup. You know, his whole character arc of being kind of the you know the 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 kid that you know wasn't really sure where he was going in life, and then he kind of figures out his niche and what he's good at and what he's proud of, and he finds a way to make it work for what he wants to do. Um, that was a really big thing for me. But just the whole aspect of you know the 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 Burke um, mindset on dragons. The dragons are kind of seen as like this you know this big you know menacing terror, and they don't realize that you know they have a boss that they have to go they have to go serve. Right. Um, so. That, you know, on a on a superficial level was just a cool story element. It's one, you know, kind of makes you think like, oh, you know, well, maybe that's maybe not all threats are as bad as, as we think they are, because there might be something else, you know, along the way. Mm-hmm. But there's another symbol to it that I, I really like to incorporate this movie. Um, and it's a little bit deeper. So I'm going to bring I'm going to pull out my, my English teacher brain and kind of overanalyze this <laughs> for a second. <laughs> uh, this is something I've, I'm th- I've been working on for a long time. So I, I'm glad I get to share it with somebody. Um but dragons in like mythology and and in old stories always symbolize some form of you know internal struggle so um you know in i think in religion they tend to symbolize something you know resembling like um you know evil or something kind of like devilish in mythology they tend to they tend to symbolize some kind of you know imp- uh, impossible uh, over, uh obstacle to overcome like they always symbolize something that's very evil and and terrible and that you should always avoid and and kill if you can um, and one of the things I love about How to Train Your Dragon is it's even in the name. It completely defies everything we know about problems. Right. You know, like we're, we're taught from a very, very early age. Like if there's a problem, then you need to figure out how to how to take it down and how to beat it. How to Train Your Dragon says, no, if there's a problem, you need to figure out what it is, befriend it, and it'll help you fight future problems. And that's exactly what they do. Right. They, they you know. Burke has this very closed off mindset of like, no, we're going to bottle up our emotions because they're Vikings. You know, we're going to bottle up our emotions. We're going to take down these dragons and, and we're not going to, you know, we're not going to make any kind of fuss about it. And Hiccup is the first, you know, the first kid who's like, maybe we shouldn't be killing things that we should, you know, probably be talking about, you know, like, mm-hmm. and he figures out how to communicate with his problems. He figures out, you know, how to become more mature and, and emotionally intelligent in that, in that aspect. And, learns how to use his problem to solve other people's problems and he eventually helps the entire village figure out how to use their problems to solve other problems and you know as that kind of goes through in the future movies they figure out how to find other people who are still doing what they're doing like the dragon hunters of the second movie and they use their you know, what they learned from from their initial issue to help take them down you know so it's like if you look at it from from a symbol uh, from a symbolism perspective using like the mythological context it just it tells this really cool story about the progression of culture from let's kill all of our problems to let's learn from our problems and use them in in the future. Oh man, this is awesome. <laughs> um, <laughs> yes, you're you're a hundred percent right. It, like dragons, 
this is what I always tell people. I, somebody asked me yesterday, are were dragons real? And I said, yes, but not in the mm -hmm. way you might expect. Yep. Because every culture, we talked about this in our Reign of Fire episode a long time ago, but every culture has invented dragons on their own, right? Mm -hmm. And dragons on like really are a culmination of every fear that humans have ever had, right? Mm -hmm. You were talking about earlier, I think it's so funny that you brought that up. Uh, I don't know if you did this intentionally or not, but how the, each dragon or the dragons are all sort of a combination of different animals. Mm -hmm. And that's sort of how dragons have always been. Dragons yeah. are like a combination between like dangerous reptiles like crocodiles or alligators and bears. Um, late, like I think that the reason that they can fly is because for a long time they occupied a dimension that humans could not occupy, which is like space, like a, mm -hmm. like flight. Uh, so all of that is like makes them the most uh, difficult and dangerous monsters we could ever uh, fight. Well, actually, when uh, the Greeks started using fire in warfare, that's when dragons started to breathe fire in mm. stories because wow. we saw that as a another threat, another way that we could uh, like could be killed by dragons. Mm -hmm. And I think that a like I think it served several purposes. First of all, it was kind of like, oh, look at like you know, look how imaginative we could be as humans. But also like you know, look at like what's the most scary thing you can think of? Oh, it's got to be a dragon. But it also creates the opportunity for a great hero to arise, right? Someone that can kill a dragon is the greatest of all heroes. They can do something that nobody else can do. They can conquer everything, all the worst at the same time. Mm -hmm. And I think you bring up a great point, which is that. What does that mean exactly? Like to conquer a dragon, right? You're like that. What's that phrase? There's an idiom that have to do with your internal dragons, right? Like something, mm -hmm. uh, not chase the dragon. That's <laughs> to have to do with drugs. Um, <laughs> something to do with like you know fighting your fighting your own battles or fighting your internal like your internal struggle and describing that as a dragon. Mm -hmm. Dragons to me have always been very personal. I've like. I uh, remember, like, I think this was 12th grade or something. I went on a guided meditation to find my spirit animal, and it was a dragon. Uh, <laughs> I have all this sort of dragon memorabilia around me. I have a big stuffed dragon in the other room. And it's always kind of, it's always spoken to me, not only because I think dragons are cool, but because it kind of represents, like, a piece of me or a part of me that I have to learn how to control. And I've never really been... Ever since I kind of came across that idea, I've never been interested in killing that part of myself, but instead using it for my own benefit. And it's so interesting. I never really quite connected that with this, but you're exactly right. How to Train Your Dragon is way, like the, the very title itself, is way more uh, metaphorical in, in that you're taking this thing that has always been a threat to you and using it for your own benefit. Oh, that's really cool. That's very well done. <laughs> I'm very impressed. <laughs> Thank you. I share your affinity for dragons. They've been a, a big part of my life growing up. I have a ton of books at home on you know dragonology and the yes, different studies. Yes, I of have dragons, that so. like like anime like a like a illustrated yes. dragonology book that has all like really cool pockets and stuff in it. Uh, <laughs> yes. I have like the field guide for dragons or something. Oh, it's so yep. interesting. Um, because a lot of that is based on. I mean, it's like kind of you know it's all fiction, but it's all based on real cultures that have come up with their own dragons and they mm -hmm. all share similar characteristics but each of them are you know unique kind of like the dragons in this movie right yeah exactly and i, I you know like, like you know like you have i've had that that love of dragons my entire life and i you know grew up hearing other people talk about well dragons are supposed to be bad you're not supposed to like dragons you're supposed to fight dragons and all this kind of stuff i'm like well 
is that what we're supposed to do though? <laughs> I kind of had, and that's why I saw the movie. I was like, I like this guy. This guy gets it. You know, yes. you're not supposed to kill the dragon. You're supposed to befriend the dragon. And you know, because you know, like you, I you know, I, I grew up reading about the, these kinds of stories, and I grew up loving mythology and seeing so many you know stories based around killing the big bad monster and. The stories that I always were more attracted to were the stories where you don't kill the big bad monster. You actually, you know, find a way to make the big bad monster help you. Right. Um, and this movie is just like a culmination of all of those things. So, like, like I said, there's a reason this movie serves as, as like easily one of my top three favorite movies. It just it it puts together everything that I've valued my entire life into one big bowl and puts some animal behavior on top of it, which is like. You know that that's exactly what I need. It's, so. it's a you know it's a combination of many things, just like a dragon is. It's just this movie is a dragon. <laughs> <laughs> Amazing. I love it. Okay, um, so what does this movie remind you of in your own life? I mean, we've talked about this a little bit right now, but in other media too. You know, ironically enough, this movie reminds me of a few different things. Um, I was actually just talking to my girlfriend about this the other day. For some reason, I've I've found that I kind of associate myself most with uh, a very specific type of protagonist. <laughs> okay. Um, so ha have you seen Gravity Falls? I've seen the first season. Okay. The second season is so much better. Just yeah. going to put that out I've, there. I've heard that. I've heard that. Okay. <laughs> Which I, I love the first season. Gravity Falls is my favorite TV show of all time. Um, and Dipper and Hiccup are the same person in my mind. Yeah. Um, they're both, and you see a lot more of it in the second season, like Dipper's kind of coming to age, you know, learning how to, how to be his own person. Um, but this whole trope of like, you know, monsters and, and, and magic and mythology are all kind of aspects of these characters lives. Uh, and, and those monsters and, and magic and mythology serve as more of uh, more than just a plot element. They're actually like a, a, a motivation for that character to overcome and grow and get stronger is the hero's tale. You know, it's like it's like yes. Hercules or it's like, you know, all the mythology we just talked about. Um, but even more so, you know, I, I always like movies and shows that can bring in mythology and from different, you know, from different types of backgrounds or even create their own mythology. Um, like Harry Potter starts to kind of do that. You know, like they have a lot of different mythologies in, involved, but they also kind of add their own here and there. Gravity Falls has almost exclusively its own mythology. Like it only pulls from certain mythologies in some ways, but it has like pop culture kind of help it create new mythologies. Like you have yes. like the the Manitars and, and the, you know, it the... takes like existing stuff and builds on it. Which was right. something that I, I always appreciated. Like, it doesn't just settle with, like, let's tell the story the same way you've heard it. Like, let's take this concept that you're familiar with and let's do it our own way and even more extreme. Um, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But it does such a good job of, of incorporating an important aspect that I also appreciate about How to Train Your Dragon, which is the characters in Gravity Falls never aim to hunt or destroy any of the mythology mythological creatures in the show. They always either befriend them or have some kind of association with them, and that pays off. So I I don't know if you're planning on 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 finishing the series. I'm not going to spoil anything for you. Thanks. Um, but I will say, a lot of the the myth mythological creatures that we see throughout the show come back at some point by the end of the show to help out the main characters. Hmm. And I think that's a testament to the idea that like we we're talking about with with the symbol uh, symbolism before, in that you know, killing the problem doesn't always help you because you know, if you can befriend the problem, it might help you later down the road when you need it to. Right. Um, 
So I've always kind of, I don't know what it is, but, you know, series like that where they have this, for some reason, brown-haired, kind of scrawny, uh, you know, teenager protagonist <laughs> that has to, like, somehow become a hero throughout the story yeah. has always, you know, and maybe it's because I was a brown-haired, scrawny teenager throughout my, most of my <laughs> most of my life so i always kind of associated with them but like their character arcs were always so interesting to me so that's that's kind of like the other media that it reminds me of um and just right, because in general it's not just about becoming stronger right it's about right. thinking differently and then right. applying that knowledge and you know not this and what's interesting i think about both hiccup and dipper too is that they have to work so hard to get to what they want to go and they have to work uphill most of the time because most everyone else says that he's doing it wrong mm -hmm. so like um it's not for lack of effort, right? But ultimately, the payoff becomes completely different. And right. um, in some ways, I mean, in both of these stories, right? The that's why they're the main characters is because their like their solution to the problem is the dominant one, is the one that uh, will work the best. That's the most interesting right. element. So, yeah, I uh, I definitely understand that. I think that's I think it's really interesting. I like the yeah. idea of like not coming at a problem directly, right? C kind of circumventing it and finding another way it's always so satisfying when that works out because you know you the audience at this point right you're expe especially watching something like gravity falls you're expecting things to go a certain way but mm -hmm. when you're able to do it in a way that's different and able to come to a, same, a conclusion that is equally as satisfying that's you know that's really skillful writing uh, it's skillful storytelling yeah and just to add an even even another element of depth to that um well, two points. I have two points here. So the first one is that, like, like you mentioned, like the the main characters of these stories never solve things a conventional way. Yeah. Um, I've also noticed a, a similar trope with them. They tend to be incredibly intelligent from a young age, um, but that intelligence doesn't tend to serve them well until they figure out how to use it effectively. Exactly. Um, yeah. So it's like you know, like they're you know they're the kinds of kids that get picked on for being smart, but they're not strong. Well, they later figure out how to use that that smart to out outsmart the strong you know like right. it's, it's but it the takes brains time versus right it's not right. it's not an equal battle at all one exactly. side is good now is can solve the problem short term the, the other the other direction again takes a lot of effort but can ultimately solve the problem in a different way and maybe even better um yeah and it takes a lot of like it takes a lot of realization to get that i feel i definitely feel that way i definitely yeah. felt for a long time and i still feel this way often that like people have always told me that i'm smart or that i'm intelligent and I've always felt like that wasn't a very useful skill because mm -hmm. it hasn't made me any happier. <laughs> it just makes <laughs> me more miserable most of the time. So like right. I um I, I like the idea that like, you know, there's like you know, a return on investment, right? Like if I put in the time into something, if I dedicate that to it and it becomes important, then it all becomes worth it. Um and, you know, I'm also an existentialist, so I believe that you make your own meaning. So I can decide yes. what I want to be important, and I can decide to put my effort into that, um, which, you know, I, I can pay off in big ways. Yeah. No, and I, I relate to you. I'm very similar. You know, I, I grew up a very intelligent kid that was, you know, that was always told that I was really smart. And then I kind of got to a point where I was like, okay, well, everyone else is doing so much better than me. So if I'm so smart, then what's what am I doing wrong? Exactly. And it's, it's that idea that, you know, they have the practical skills and maybe it's not even strength. It's more like um like street smart versus book, book smart sure. kind of thing. Or, or some specific thing, right? Some right. specific skill that they've acquired over, you know, through practice or mm -hmm. whatever, right? That's something that you never had a, an opportunity to do or were not interested in or whatever. Right. And so, yeah, as you kind of, you know, 
as I grew up, I, I kind of learned what skills that I actually was good at and became confident in those skills. and was able to apply those. And they were skills that required a lot of, you know, kind of thinking outside of the box, you know, like I'm, I'm, I consider myself proficient in public speaking. I also coach public speakers. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm an educator at heart, you know, I, but I had to find ways to challenge myself by coming up with new ways to teach by, by, you know, taking each student and learning what their learning style is and adapting my lessons to their learning style. Like it's a, it's a challenge that you can't just kind of, you know, brute force your way out of. You have to actually kind of figure stuff out, um, which is what I needed. You know, I needed a, a challenge yeah. that could actually put me in a box and, and make me figure out how to get out of it. But the other thing that's, that's great about being naturally intelligent or, or having some, you know, being perceived at least as intelligent is that you're able to whatever you focus on, you you can find interesting solutions to and become you know good at that, right? And it's it's almost like a blank slate, right? Where you're like, okay, I can like I can put all of my you know for lack of a better term, all of my skill points into one thing, but I just have to decide what that one thing is going to be. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah, uh, it's, yeah, that's it, fairly interesting. One other thing I wanted to throw in there. One of the things I really appreciate about How to Train Your Dragon and also Gravity Falls does this too is that idea that they don't separate what's real from what's not real. You know, we talked about how dragons are like real, but it depends on what you mean by real. Yeah. Um. It's you know they they completely associate the the magic or the mythology of the world with the real part of the world too. You know, with with a lot of media, if you have like Spiderwick Chronicles or if you have like you know even like Harry Potter does this a little bit. You have like society. And then you have the magic and yes. they're kind of like separate, like they can like kind of dip into each other here and there. But with like Gravity Falls and with How to Train Your Dragon, they're very much incorporated together. You know, they are part of each other. You know, the one it's almost you know safe to be said that one cannot survive without the other one. They are, they are almost coexistent to a degree. Yeah, I think Gravity Falls does that a little bit better where it, mm -hmm. it sort of applies real world lessons to extraordinary events. Right. Right. I think How to Train Your Dragon certainly does that for the dragons right but ultimately it's sort of it's a fantasy story where you're like right. what if what if you could ride dragons what if they're dragons <laughs> you could ride them that'd be awesome um yeah. that so i think that um yeah I, I i think that application is cool though and i think that as the story for this series develops too you you dive deeper into kind of the mythology and mm -hmm. also the psychology of the different people um, in this world, and they are very similar to us, right? Mm -hmm. They just have different tools available to them, right? Exactly. They have the same. They have to solve the exact same problems. Yeah. Okay. Um, we've already dived very deep <laughs> into this, but uh, let's go a little deeper. Uh, what kind okay. of themes uh, were present to you that really spoke to you? Man, so we talked about coming of age. Um, you know, it's it's very much a coming of age story. You know, it's yeah. a it's a, a young man, you know, realizing exactly what, you know, what he's meant to be and what he wants to be and, you know, finding out how to do that in a way that works for him. Um, I think that that's pretty self-explanatory, but I would also argue that the coming of age story happens for all of the characters, not just Hiccup, um, because it's an entire cultural shift, you know, yes. uh, with, with, with a lot of coming of age stories, I find that it's like society tends to stay the same and the character figures out how to fit in society um, with, with, how to train your dragon it's almost like hiccup is growing up to try to fit into into society but he realizes that he doesn't quite fit so he helps society realize how to work around them so they can all grow together right you know um that's that's kind of like all of the all of the kids that he trained with all had to learn something about how you know their own personalities that related to what they could use to be you know 
useful in, in the in the battle at the end. That's right, um, because like you know, fish legs right was the dragon expert. He knew everything about dra- uh, every dragon, all the stats, right? Mm-hmm. But he um, he was always just kind of an annoying and in the way um, until like the end, and then they, he's able to uh, like expertly assess this dragon mm-hmm. that no one's seen before. Um, exactly. And then you know Astrid and like uh, you know, and what's his name uh, Jonah Hill's character? They're oh. like um, uh, I have it pulled up. Hold on. Why can't I? Why isn't he showing up right here? Oh, Snotlout. Snotlout. That's what it is. Oh yeah, because Spike Lout or uh, Spike Lout and Snotlout. That's what it is. I don't know how I could remember the name Snotlout. I don't. Know. <laughs> but anyway, <laughs> so Snotlout and Astrid are kind of you know they're more burly. They're more you know fighter types, and they certainly come into handy in the last battle, right, where they have to kind of fly around and be very nimble. And you got the twins that are their skills that they're annoying, I guess. So <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> they could be those annoying ones out there. But yeah, it's um. You're right. Like it all, everybody kind of has a little bit of an arc there that kind mm-hmm. of ties it together, which I think is very is is very satisfying for sure. One of my favorite moments in this movie. It's a very simple visual metaphor. Is the um, Viking helmet. So mm-hmm. um, fish. Uh, I keep saying fish legs. Hiccup gets the Viking helmet from his dad uh, when his dad finally appreciates his dragon conquering abilities or whatever. Right. Mm-hmm. He says, "Ah, oh, you finally earned this. You're a true Viking now, or you will be." Um, and Hiccup removes the helmet during the fight with the monstrous nightmare to prove to the dragon that he is not a Viking, right? He says that yeah. he tosses off and says, I'm not one of them. And it reaches out his hand to tame the dragon, um, which then, you know, it all goes wrong, but doesn't matter. Uh, the, the metaphor is right there. And then at the very end, Hiccup is unconscious. Um, he's just he's just blowing up the big dragon, which is amazing. Uh, you can blow up a dragon, but whatever. <laughs> you gonna he uh, he falls and he's all you know he's unconscious right there, and um, his father finds him uh, curled up inside of Toothless's wings, and his father removes his helmet so that he can get close enough to hear um, uh, Hiccup's breathing or whatever. Mm. Uh, again, like uh, making it clear in that moment that what's more important is his son than being a Viking, which is something that Stoic has always kind of. Uh, struggled with, right? It's, well, throughout the story, he's constantly ragging on Hiccup, including in front of the whole village, talking about how how bad his son is at fighting dragons. So he's like, at that moment, he like it comes to fruition, right? That it, it matters the most, but and you see it on his in his actions that he cares more about his family than he does about being a Viking, um, mm-hmm. which was cool. I, I and that I think again symbolizes the arc of everybody in the story everybody sort of learns something here and yeah. uh, comes away stronger yeah no i definitely agree and i think that that kind of ties into another point that i had which was the realization of potential and we pretty much you know we, we beat that horse enough at this point i think i think we kind of got the gist of it but you know just to to summarize that point you know really it's it's the idea that you know everyone in the story realizes that they have a purpose and they serve that purpose by the end of the story pretty well you know and and hiccup being you know the central point of that whole of that whole quest he he realizes his own potential which is that he is the catalyst that needs to change society right you know he he is the you know the progression of of the future you know he basically says to the, he, he's kind of the 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 representation of the phrase if you don't change you will die you know right. like he, he kind of, he's kind of telling the Vikings, if we just keep fighting these dragons, they're going to pick us off one by one. You know, we have to figure out something else or else we're not going to make it. And... Yeah, I mean, he never makes that argument directly, but that's sort of implicit in what happens, mm-hmm. right? It's constantly, it's a constant war. And, the, I mean, it's very evenly matched. The dragons take out 
tons of buildings and all the livestock. I love that little short scene when um, the dragons are flying off and they're using the net to carry the <laughs> sheep away. The net that they were using to capture the dragons. It's so funny. Yeah. Um, and then, and then of course, the Vikings are taking out as many dragons as they can, right? Um, but yeah, it's, it's not good for anybody in that situation. But like, What I really like about this, something I never picked up on before, was that Hiccup uh, sort of embodies that same Viking spirit of like, tenacity and stubbornness right the same thing that his father shows him right his father doesn't listen to him his father says i have the best way forward i'm going to do that and hiccup does the exact same thing he doesn't listen to what his father has to say he says i have a better way and he goes after it despite all of the evidence to the contrary right and i think that's um i think it's awesome because it really does prove that Hiccup deserves to be a leader in this community, right? He he knows it's not just that he got lucky with the dragons. He like um, he recognized his place in that world and his op the opportunity that that allowed him. So I think that's uh, really cool. I, I never really understood that or, or saw that before. Yeah, and I think even to to you know piggyback onto that and kind of clear up this this last point that I have, it's you know on top of just realization of potential and, and like you mentioned you know hiccup kind of coming to the to the uh the realization that like okay maybe maybe i kind of know what i'm doing you know and, and he puts puts a plan together that actually ends up working uh there's actually that actual you know at the actualization of skill you know he he not only understands that he can do good by helping with the dragons and by you know making up with the plans and working with the the others that are training the dragons but he puts into the action you know um like he talks non-stop in the very beginning of the movie about oh i have an idea for this and i have an idea for that and he like when he's working with gobber in the in the blacksmith shop he has all these ideas for inventions he wants to make yeah. and gobber just kind of said okay well that's great but you know ideas aren't going to get you anywhere you need to start working um and it's kind of like that shift from like, okay, well, he's an, he's an idea guy. So now he's actually doing the things that he's talking about. Um, and that actualization of skill for him and even all the other characters, you know, you see uh, Snotlout throughout the entire movie bragging about how big and strong he is, despite getting knocked around by every dragon he gets in front of. Yes. Um, only to later in the movie actually be able to use that strength against the big dragon. Right. Um, you know, so like, or, or fish legs, like, like, like we mentioned earlier, being incredibly knowledgeable on in all the dragons. And he is, is later to actually use that skill in a way that's actually practical. Um, you know, like all of the, all of the characters in this movie that have skills that, you know, kind of boasts about them for most of the movie, but you never really get to see them got to use their skill at some point. And that was just something that was really cool uh that i really you know got got attached to i was like I'm, I'm glad that they that they actually proved that these kids weren't just full of it and they actually had something to what they're talking about i think it was i also really liked the little dragon book that they had where they were explaining mm -hmm. all the different dragons right i like it's so easy to like have some sort of joke they kind of do this where they're like every dragon is extremely dangerous kill on sight right but right. like they could have just made it blank it's like this is the picture of a dragon and like this is a bad dragon bad dragon all the way but they actually had stats they actually had like descriptions and pictures of each mm -hmm. one they had a like a lot of knowledge about their most fearsome enemy which is something that you have to have right Hiccup brings in the other aspect of it, which kind of gives them a more complete picture. But they were already sort of on the path toward that, toward understanding, um, which I think is is pretty cool. And I it is like kind of cheesy for them to be like, find his blind spot. It's like all the stuff we learned in school is useful. <laughs> like uh, it's um, it's pretty it's pretty good, but it works. Yeah. It definitely works. It, like it's a good payoff for the movie. Yeah, I would definitely agree. Um, we're going to take a short break and then we'll be right back. 
Sunday, Sunday, Sunday. You will not believe the event that is coming to your local sports arena slash complex. It'll be the night of your life. That's right, a spectacle unlike any you've ever experienced. Something so novel and mind-meltingly awesome. The likelihood of needing professional therapy and possibly medication to offset the feeling of ennui in your boring average life is 10,000%. Please speak to your doctor before attending this incredible evening of pure entertainment. This deal into easily digestible sections that will nevertheless leave you feeling profoundly seen and heard in a way that surpasses the time your father first told you he was proud of you and the birth of your first child. Before attending this event, be sure all your affairs are in order and you've spoken to the important people in your life because it'll be the last time that they see anything other than you in a vegetative state because we have just experienced something so utterly complete. The only thing that you want to do is mull it over for the rest of your miserable and ordinary life. Tickets are five dollars at the door and kids can in free. Be there and be amazed. Welcome back. I'm talking to Brendan from the Talk Ag to Me podcast. And uh, we're going to jump right into our cool Easter egg section of the podcast. Um, Brennan, you've been hinting at a union <laughs> of songs or something about songs. Can you tell us a little bit more about that? Yeah, absolutely. So I mentioned towards the beginning of this episode that one of the things about the movie that speaks the most to me is the music. And besides the just epic feeling of, you know, the Viking battle songs and and all of the, you know, the cool roller coasters that go into the each each scene, there's a really, really cool thing that they do with with the songs in the movie that I really wasn't aware of until a couple months ago when my girlfriend pointed it out to me. If you listen to the music of each character, each each character has a song. And as you go through the movie, the interactions of those characters combine their songs. Ah. So so we see in, uh, in the song Test Flight, um, you know, Hiccup and, and Toothless first, first writing together, when the song starts out, Hiccup's like, you know, he's he has his little cheat sheet with him, and he's like trying, okay, first position, second position. You know, he's trying all these different uh, techniques, and, and Toothless is kind of just like, whatever, I'm going to fly. I know how to fly. I've been flying my whole life. Like, let me take care of this. Yeah. And when it starts off, it's Hiccup's theme. So you can hear the theme that Hiccup, that it's always associated with Hiccup as they're flying through. They get to a certain point where Toothless is like, your cheat sheet's stupid. I'm going to take over. And he starts flying without Hiccup telling him what to do. And then it switches over to Toothless's theme. And it's kind of like, you know, a little bit more rugged, a little bit more like, you know, like, a, I kind of know what I'm doing, you know, leave, leave, you know, get out of more my way. Confident. Yeah. And, you know, they're kind of like fighting back and forth on how to actually like, you know, how to fly. And as they're fighting back and forth, it's switching between their themes the entire time. And they actually like, they run into rocks and they kind of like hit each other a, a few times and they kind of, you know, mess up a few times. And then they get to the very, very top of, of you know, wherever they're at, the atmosphere or whatever, and they start falling, and Hiccup falls out of the seat. And then now it's, like, panic. And there's, like, this whole, like, moment where neither of their themes are pl playing. It's just, like, this really suspenseful, like, th you know, um, like, thriller music that's just, like, you know, nobody knows what's going to happen. And Toothless realizes, okay, if I don't have him on my back, then neither of us are going to make it out of this alive. And they start working together. So, so Hiccup kind of... You know, catches himself on onto you know he like uses the air to kind of like maneuver around, and then Toothless gets underneath him, and he catches himself on Toothless, and they start flying, and that's when you know like Hiccup can't see the the sheet super well, so he throws it behind him, and they just kind of like sink, and they start flying through the the, the rocks, and they're just like in perfect uh, rhythm together, and their their themes actually combine into the actual test drive song. Oh my gosh! And it's, it's so it's so cool. Like if you actually like 
if you listen to the, to the song by itself, you kind of like pick up, okay, this is this is where it's happening. But if you listen to the song and then watch that scene again, you're like, oh, it's like the the when I say the music tells a story, it it specifically is telling the story of how those two brains are working at the same time. Um, so it's like a, it's you know they're fighting each other nonstop until eventually they have to come together, and the song sounds so much better when they do. Like their themes are fine by themselves. But their but their themes together is just a masterpiece. That's awesome. Yeah. Oh, that's so cool. I'll, I'll see if I can play some of that um, <laughs> uh, during this section. Uh, that's that's really cool. Uh, I love that sort of stuff. That's definitely elite motif stuff where there are <laughs> you know things are you use different musical cues to combine into something else and make something new. That's um, that's amazing. Yeah, and it's used in, in other parts of the movie too. I mean, there's a there's a song called "Romantic Flight." Later, it's when Astrid first flies with them, which. There's really nothing romantic about the flight because Toothless <laughs> breathes a ball of fire and makes them fly through it. Yes. Um, and that's where uh, I can't remember if that's the part where Toothless goes, you useless reptile or whatever he says. Yeah. Um, but that scene, it plays uh, Hiccup's theme and Astrid's theme. So it combines those two. And again, it has the same kind of thing when they're first flying and she's freaking out. It's Hiccup and, and Toothless's theme together. And then it switches to Asher's theme and it goes back and forth until all all three of their themes kind of flow together. And then Toothless's theme kind of fades out and it's just Hiccup and Astrid when they're flying above the clouds. So it's just it's super cool. They do it a bunch throughout the movie. I just love how they how they unite themes to, to kind of tell the story of how those characters are getting along. It's just I thought that was really well done. That's awesome. I love stuff like that. The only uh, Easter egg I've got is that uh, this is actually based on a book series by Cressida Cowell. I don't have you read any of them? I've read a few of them. Uh, I read the first two or three, I think. I read them when I was um, I don't know how old I was. It was probably like twelve or thirteen. Um, and these are example. This is an example of a movie that I like way more than the books. Um, I think the books are fine, but they're really more about Hiccup as sort of like a miscreant, you know, and Toothless mm -hmm. is like a useless little dragon. It's not um, everybody, I think, in the town of Burke or wherever they are has dragons and like deals with dragons directly. It's not not like an origin story like this movie is, uh, mm -hmm. but Hiccup and his tiny dragon Toothless kind of, kind of like, uh, you know, they kind of get into trouble and stuff, but they're sort of like... Um, rebels in a way, mm. right? They're, they're not really part of the uh, greater structure. They're not like restructuring the Viking society. They're just kind of like off on their own little adventures and are disgusted by everybody else's adherence to any sort of structure. Um, so uh, yeah, I, I remember reading them and being somewhat entertained, um, but uh, I definitely like the movies more. I think the movies are slightly based off of the same world and stuff. I mean, it has the kind of same setting and everything, but they're very different. Um, and I think I've a very different tone too. Um, so yeah, the, if you're ever looking for an example of a movie that's better than the book, uh, I would say How to Train Your Dragons is one of the top of my list. I would agree. I, I liked the books growing up, but again, they just kind of didn't capture that same magic that the movie had. And it just, it was kind of like a, you know, these, these are fine. They're a fun read, but they don't have any, any kind of like emotional impact like, like the movie does. Yeah. It, the, I don't know. They're kind of, um. Uh, I don't know what the aesthetic of those were. It's a lot mm -hmm. more like, like grimy, but just kind of like odd, you know, like off off kilter, kind of uh, like a lot of jagged edges and like weird shapes, kind of like, a mm -hmm. you know, psychedelic monsters and stuff. Um, yeah, it didn't. I don't know. It wasn't something that really uh, captured my attention when I was a kid. I thought they were you know, mildly interesting. <laughs> yeah. Not like the movie was. I, I really did enjoy the movie. Yeah. OK, 
So that brings us to the end of this episode about how to train your dragon. And as we do at the end of every episode, we deliver our ratings. And Brendan, why don't you go first? So uh, I have to preface this by saying that I have a uh, addiction to journals. Um, I oh. have a large collection of journals, and I like recording everything in different journals. Like I have a journal for each thing, um, and I have a journal on animal behavior. Okay, it has a big old cow in front of it. Um, <laughs> Perfect. So, <laughs> so seeing Hiccup's journal in the movie where he like keeps track of his notes and all the dragons, that like. You know, I loved it when I was a kid. I love it even more now that I've like gotten more into my journals and I have journals that look like his. So I'm like, that's cool. So <laughs> that being said, I, I give this movie a uh, dragon behavior based field guide. Oh, perfect. That's excellent. Uh, yours is more uh, thought out than mine. Mine is <laughs> a luxurious ride on my own personal pet dragon. I like it. <laughs> Thank you. Okay. Um, Brendan, uh, how can people how can the people find you? Tell us a little bit about uh, yourself and your podcast. Yeah, so uh, my podcast, once again, is called uh, Talk Ag to Me. It's found anywhere you find podcasts, the age-old uh, quip. But I also have a website, <laughs> talkagtome.com. If you guys are interested in hearing more than just my episodes, I post uh, stories and articles on there relating to all things agriculture. Um, I, in case you guys haven't noticed, am a big fan of agriculture and animals. Um, and I've uh, covered quite a few topics varying in agricultural subjects on my show uh, I have, i've had joey on here a couple times for different episodes we covered wally and again we covered wa uh, water world um i don't know when this episode's coming out but your episode will be coming out probably closer to the end of uh, probably around summertime okay um so i don't know if those will line up at all but we'll see <laughs> i'm <laughs> okay. hoping to get this out in a couple of weeks so we'll okay see. so in my, the water world episode might not be out yet by the time this comes oh, out anticipate that oh, <laughs> it'll be dropping soon <laughs> yeah so um but it's it's a fun time you know if anyone's inter interested in learning about food and how it's grown that's what my show is all about it's about connecting people back to the source of their food and fiber um but it's you know it's a good time and i'm actually i'll give you a little um a little preview here i'm, sure. I'm uh, the 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 very beginnings of it are, are in, in, in progress, but I'm actually developing a new podcast um, that is based around animal behavior. Oh, okay. And so I will be incorporating my own How to Train Your Dragon episode onto Talk Agdemy to transition it into the animal behavior podcast that'll talk all about, you know, horses and cattle and kind of the stuff we talked about today. Um, so be on the lookout for that. I have no idea when it's going to come out, so don't ask me. Um, but uh, yeah. But now so you said it, so now it's podcast. definitely coming out. So it, it I'll, I'm looking for that to come. That's <laughs> it's awesome. been on my corkboard, so I, I, I got to do it at some point. But, Perfect. Um, but yeah, so that that's where you find me. If you have any other questions or if you want to talk about anything relating to ag, feel free to reach out. Well, Brendan, I really appreciate talking to you. You're always very knowledgeable about the stuff you, you bring in. You always think very deeply about these things. It's always a pleasure. Um, and yeah, I feel like I learned a lot about how to train your dragon, um, uh, despite all of that. So I, yeah, again, I really appreciate you coming on here and giving your insight. Um, when you first suggested it, I was like, why would you choose that movie? And then I thought about it for about five seconds. It was like, oh, it's about animals, about domesticating dragons. Of course, <laughs> of course. It makes perfect sense. So yeah. no, a, a wonderful choice. And I'm so glad to revisit this movie with you. Um, mm. Well, okay. What's next in Affable Chat? 
I don't know because Benjamin and I are recording episodes separately on the same day, so I don't know exactly when which which one will release first. Uh, but uh, it'll either be 10 Things I Hate About You or whatever movie we're doing next. So maybe I'll insert it here in post, but who knows. Um, if you want to find Affable Chat, you can listen to us on iTunes or uh, Google Play or wherever you find your podcasts. And if you like this podcast, then tell your friends about it. All you have to do is say, have you considered listening to Affable Chat? We have a Twitter, an Instagram, a TikTok. All of them are at Affable Chat. And we also have an email address, affablechat at gmail.com. And we have a YouTube channel called affable chat uh affable chat is also live every tuesday night at 7 p.m eastern on twitch that's twitch.tv slash affable chat benjamin's on there all the time uh watching videos and reacting to your content so um go check that out um but that's it for affable chat my name is joey thanks for listening